We're going to start another series, and it may only last two or three weeks, but I'm going to talk about taking up space. And you say, well, what's that about? Actually, I'm going to talk about what the Bible actually has to say about healing, but more than just healing, because this really, uh, healing is not a lone subject. Just like um, sin is not a lone subject. And I'll explain that. Provision or prosperity. Now that's gotten a bad name, you know, in some, with some people because they think when you teach prosperity, you're saying everybody should be a billionaire. Well, prosperous means more than just money. Money can be included, but prosperity has to do with how you do at work, how you do with your family, how you do in society, how you do with God is prospering, right? Or not prospering. Don't you think that uh, in this life, God wants us to prosper in all things? And we'll prove these things from Scripture, but even though we're going to talk about healing, the healing side, we're going to talk about uh, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental, the physical, which would include healing or strength, deliverance, and really all the other areas of life. And so don't be close to this. And those of you who have heard things about healing, uh, sometimes I think we need to be open to healing in different ways, look at things different, and not always uh, be so hard and harsh. You with me? Because in all reality, all of us use natural means or have at some time and maybe in the recent thing and we believe in divine healing. Right? I, right? Everybody okay? Let me explain. Uh, I've been hiking. I hike. This is the first week in years I didn't hike one day because it was so hot. Uh, and, uh, but I tried to get exercise different ways. Um, stalking people, things like that. No, uh, just kidding, like swimming, things like that. Um, but I don't count that as like my regular thing. And, um, but people, you know, when I hike, I, I, I don't get blisters anymore. I don't remember the last time I had a blister. But people who get blisters or people who fall uh, in life, they'll scuff their knee And uh, you know what they'll do concerning that? You know, even if they believe in healing, they'll put a Band-Aid on it. Right? People get, I have a splinter in the tip of my finger. It's been there for about a week and a half now. It's nice. It's a cactus thing. You can't see it. I work to get that out. I, you know, you don't just go, okay, well, I'm healed. Well, I think there are all those things, and you can use your faith that whatever you scuffed your knee would be healed and would recover. But we do use some natural means sometimes. You with me? And so um, I think we should be uh, understanding of that. And, and, and know this, a Band-Aid necessarily doesn't always heal. It doesn't. A Band-Aid is not supernatural. It doesn't heal you, but it's definitely something people use all the time, right? Some of you are acting surprised. You thought it was magical or something? No, there are various reasons why we would use a Band-Aid too. One, we wouldn't want it to stick to our clothes, 
where the thing is because then when you take your pants off, it rips the scab. So you'll leave a Band-Aid on there to protect it for a while. But we still can believe in divine healing and do that stuff. I'm just saying sometimes people make this so black and white, and there are some real black and white areas in this. You okay? There are some real... I mean, hey, if you believe in divine protection... Amen? Uh, divine protection. Don't ever use sunscreen again. Quit it. Don't do that. You understand I'm saying that sarcastically. Thank you. You know, I know this, something I learned years ago living in Southern California and being at the beach a lot is solar cane is wonderful. If you don't know about it, you haven't gone far yet. You haven't been burned enough. But what about divine healing? Well, I believe in divine healing. And there are scriptures that talk about the sun not scorching and things like that. But on our way and, and walking in, there can be natural things. And sometimes people can be so hard on others about one thing, and they're over here doing this. And you just use sunblock, you foul thing. No. You get where I'm coming from? If we believe in divine healing or divine protection, then there is a divine part about it, but let's just um, have faith ourselves. And when people are open, you know, we, we should preach the truth. But there should be lines, I think, that are black and white. We should know, is, is healing for mankind? And the answer to that from the Bible we're going to look at Turn to Galatians, the third chapter, and we're going to look at stuff. Because remember, the title is Taking Up Space. There are some things that take up space in our life that really should not be taking up space. Uh, in other words, if you have somebody, let's say you got a property, maybe a commercial piece of property, you've got a business on it and some buildings and you go drive behind it and all of a sudden you got somebody living behind your building that shouldn't and you think well there's not a big deal you know they're not hurting anything they need somebody they'll pass on pass by not pass on like you know die oh they'll pass on that they'll move about you know and you let it go then all of a sudden two or three more and four or five more come and you've got a little village back there and not only do you got a little village back there, they're going to the bathroom everywhere, and you're thinking, this is getting out of hand. They're in a space, technically, that they legally can't be, and maybe there's a shelter that they can go. And, I, and you understand, I'm not speaking anything against somebody who is in a hard time and is living on the street. Not at all. But as an illustration, you have a right to move them off your property. You with me? And so Galatians 3, and I say that on purpose uh, because there are times some things are on a property or in a place that, that uh, have no right. And I think when we talk about healing, you really need to know uh, what rights you have, what rights sickness has, uh, how it looks like. Because many times people are wondering if God wants this or doesn't want this. And, and really, those are foreign things taking up space in you. 
Now, let me just read and be open, and we're going to look at Scripture after Scripture, and then you can argue with the Scripture. Galatians 3.13, familiar verse, Christ has. That's all we're reading. Christ has. Now, would it be different? Would it have said something different if it said Christ will? Yes. If it says Christ is doing would be even different. That would be present, future would be other. But it says Christ has redeemed us. So that means he bought us back from something. It says from the curse of the law. Well, then if we know what the curse of the law is, we know what he's already bought us back from. He's not going to buy us back. He's already bought it, us back. Having become a curse for us. He already became a curse so that the curse would not be on you and you would already be freed from the curse. If you're a Christian or you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you know it or not, you are already redeemed or bought back from the curse. But he didn't just stop there. Because how did you get bought back? What, how did he get you pay for it? He became a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In other words, he got you back from whatever this curse is. Whatever this curse is, you already are free from it, from his viewpoint. He's already paid for it. He's not going to pay for it. He's already paid for it. Notice verse 14. That, I have the word so written there, S-O, because it's just part of the statement. So that, or that, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles means whatever blessing was on Abraham is supposed to be on Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people. So whatever blessing came on Abraham, and it's clear in this context and others, that it didn't just come on Abraham, it came on his children and on all his descendants. Most people know, they'll say, oh yeah, I know those Jewish people, they're all blessed. This is where they, you get that. Some people might think, wow, that'd be neat then. I kind of think I would like to be a Jewish Christian then. But let's look. But he said that, that this blessing might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we also might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. If you read on further, it tells you, it doesn't just say promise, it says promises. Notice there's two things here, actually more than two. One, the curse is not going to be removed, it's been removed. And the blessing of Abraham is on you. If you're saved, it's not going to be, it is on you. Now here's the issue though. Who, who is, how do I know it's on me? Remember, he said that it might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. You read the context and it really comes on Abraham's descendants. Now read verse 29. And if you are Christ's, in other words, 
If you can truly say, I'm saved, I belong to Jesus, notice verse 29. He said, if you then are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You're an heir according to this promise. And I would encourage you later on to go read this whole third chapter. So then we need to know if we're redeemed from the curse, what is the curse? And if we have this blessing, what is the blessing? Most people would agree that Abraham's blessing at least was financial uh, in the sense of uh, his cattle. Remember, he'd get ripped off and then his cattle would out produce and reproduce and do better than everybody else and his fields did better so it was a blessing that affected his natural life remember his wife couldn't have a child and this blessing and faith made her have a child you know part of the curse is being barren part of the blessing is not being barren now if you go back and read the first five books of the bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll find really what the curse is for breaking the law. The, the curse. But Deuteronomy 28 is given to uh, a lot of specifics about what the blessing is, the first about 11 or 14 verses. And then after that, it talks about the curse. And, it, and the curse has to do with this, and you can read it on your own. It's spiritual by nature. You with me? Now understand, Abraham could not get the promise of the Spirit part of new life because he couldn't be born again until Jesus died and rose again. But concerning the second death when he died and being able to go to heaven, that's part of it. But it has to do with spiritual things. Emotional and mental. Which both of those would cover any demonic thing. I mean, it talks about minds being messed up and problems in the mind being part of the curse. You with me? Emotional problems. It goes on to talk about physical problems. I mean, it names, I think it's about the 61st or 63rd verse there. It goes through a list of boils and knee problems and skin problems and it just goes through all of them and then it says any other sickness or disease that's not written in this book is a curse so basically if after 60 something verses or 50 uh verses of all this stuff he just kind of capsulizes the physical healing part is it's all covered but in there he talks about mental distress anguish of mind he talks about uh, planting and not reaping, uh, working hard but not getting a harvest back for your labor and stuff and getting ripped off in life. And so it's physical and reality is it's just really every area of your life until you go to be with the Lord. With that being said, we're going to target one area. And so God really wants us to be free in all these areas. And if he said we're already redeemed, that means we're not going to be redeemed. Somebody said, but 
I'm having problems in the mental, I'm having problems not in the physical, or I'm having problems in the financial, or different things, or I'm having problems in, in all of the areas. Then you could say this, if you're already redeemed, something foreign is taking up space. It'd be better to look at it that way, because then you know, according to the way it's written, you have been redeemed. Something foreign is taking up its place, up, up, up space. You okay? Something foreign, or you could say it like this, something not of God's design. Remember the song we sang? And I said, remember that song? Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. That'll tell you a big story in itself. When people go to heaven, they recognize that they're going to be rich, full, emotionally set. There's going to be abundance of peace. No more sickness, no more pain, right? Because the former things, Revelation tells us 21, the former things are passed away, right? 21.4. And then, you know, really Matthew 6.10 is the verse of the song we read. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we know when we get there, it's all going to be gone. So you could deduce right there that God's will is being done unhindered in heaven. Here, something else that maybe is not God's will uh, is taking up space. Now, if somebody's not rich or whatever, we don't go, oh, there's something wrong with them, or if they, there's No, things can take up space, and we're going to talk about that and how to deal with things. We need to first know that whatever we're dealing with, whatever's going on, if it's not of this, it's something foreign to God's plan that's taking up space. Everybody okay? So we're going to specifically talk about healing, but you can literally find these truths on any of the subjects I mentioned. Acts 10.38, notice this verse, Acts the 10th chapter and the 38th verse. This was when Jesus was, uh, he had already died and rose, but Peter knew uh, about Jesus' healing ministry he was preaching about it here and about his ministry and he talked about healing and he makes an interesting statement. In the middle of his preaching, he said, Acts 10, 38, Peter's preaching this. He traveled with Jesus. He talked to Jesus. He'd know the ins and outs, right? I mean, if there's anybody you want to know the behind the scene things, it's Peter, James, and John, then all the rest. I mean, and so he's an authority on all things Jesus. You know what I mean? And we are as much as we know Scripture in him. Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil For God was with him. There's a lot said there. It just tells you that sickness, whether it's directly of the devil or not, 
uh, it's indirectly not of God, so it's of the enemy. It's not of God's design. And when it's taking up space, there is, you know, or whatever the issue is. Now, I'm not saying somebody has a demon if they have a problem, because that's not true. But I am saying that there, it's not, the origin is not of God. It's of the enemy, ultimately. Sickness's origin is not of God. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So when that was gone, guess what? The people were whole, and that that was taking up the space was gone. And when the space was, you know, vacated by that thing, you have a person who's uh, in good shape now. Let's look at a picture of this in action. Luke, the fourth chapter. Luke 4, this is Jesus. He, uh, it's told different like in Matthew 8, but Luke 4, uh, this is, uh, well, we'll just, we'll just turn there. Actually, there's different cases where uh, these stories are mentioned in different places, but Luke 4, verse 39, and this is actually the same story in Matthew 8 when Jesus went uh, into Peter's house and his mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. Notice there was a fever taking up space in her and look what the fever did. It made her so she couldn't get up. It was taking up space. And uh, notice verse 39, so he stood over her this is her, his, Peter's mother-in-law. And rebuked the fever. And it left her. So it left her. There was a fever taking up space in her. When, when it was rebuked, notice it left. Then once it left and wasn't taking up space, notice what happened. And immediately she arose and served them. Do you think it was God's will for her to be just out in any capacity? No. It wasn't His will. You know, somebody once said that uh, this is probably the reason Jesus denied, or Peter denied Jesus, because He healed His mother-in-law. Okay, sorry, that was... A bad attempt at a joke. <clears throat> you healed my mother-in-law, I deny you. No. Luke 13. Luke 13. So we see there, he rebuked something, made it leave. When it left, the person uh, good was there. Would you agree? And so we know we're already redeemed from the curse. So if something is abiding that doesn't belong, it inhibits us in certain ways. Whether it's mental, physical, emotional, whatever, it hinders us. And when it's displaced, then you can start to see God's way. Amen? Notice Luke, 
13, verse 10. It says this, now, it was, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues uh, on the Sabbath, which was a Saturday, the seventh day, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could not in no way raise herself up. You know, depending on the translation, some of them say it's like crippling arthritis. We don't know. But she was bent over. She could not get up. Now remember, is the blessing of Abraham ours? If you're saved, yes. But, people will start to hear these things and say, well, if the blessing is mine in all these areas, why do I not see it? And if it is God's will for people to be healed and to be delivered and to be set free and to be protected, why does all the other stuff happen? Well, look at that. But look at this first. And behold, there was a woman with a spirit of infirmity, verse 11, 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. She was just crippled over and couldn't raise herself. Notice she couldn't, she couldn't do it herself because there was this thing here that was affecting her. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. In other words, when she, this thing left her, she was made whole. She couldn't do it on her own, and she it probably attempted, but this thing had her bound. And then it says, but, and this is so wild, verse 14, but the rulers of the synagogue answered, with indignation, that's anger, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the crowd, there, or they said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. Isn't that wild? Some people didn't like the idea that people were getting healed. Who was it? The religious people. Religious people don't like some things. Think of it. Yeah, she was a cripple. She was bent over. This should not have happened. She'd have come back tomorrow and get it. What if that was your mother-in-law or your dad or your sister or you? Or a good friend of yours? Or just anybody? The Lord answered him and said, You know, I'm real patient. No, he just said, You hypocrite. You know, I just love you guys. No, he said, You hypocrite. The hypocrite is one who stands behind a mask, portrays one thing, but is really something different behind the scenes. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath, loose his ox or his donkey. In other words, he's showing them even you guys do stuff like this for your animals. 
loose an ox or a donkey on the Sabbath from the stall and you lead it away to, to water it? Think about it. They cared more about animals than they did humans. Ooh, that statement right there just stands by itself. It does. Because we know as we get close to the, that doesn't mean you can't love animals. But we know as we get closer to the end, I mean, I like animals. I prefer some over others. I mean, I've wanted a cat. Just, it just doesn't fit into the program. But I saw a bobcat. I, I pray to see things when I hike. And last week I'm like, oh, there's a bobcat. I mean, to me, that's like cool. I like animals. But he said there would come a time near the end where people will worship animals, the creation, more than the creator. I'm okay with people being a vegetarian. But I'm still going to eat it in and out. With beef patties. And I'm not going to condemn you if you don't want that. That's cool. You know, when I grew up, my parents used to say, you know, sometimes parents say things, my parents aren't here today, um, they say things that you think, why are you even saying that? They're like, eat your broccoli. And I'm like, I don't want to. And they're like, all right, that leaves more for us. I'm like, great, then eat it. And they're like, no, you eat it. Well, I thought you said it leaves more for you. I, now, you didn't say that out loud, but you definitely had that thought. Maybe. But he said, you loose your animals, verse 16, so ought not this woman, notice she's not an animal, she's made in the likeness and image of God. Being a daughter of who? She's a descendant of Abraham. Notice something was taking up her space, space in her life that was affecting her, and Jesus went back to the statement of she's a daughter of Abraham. This does not belong on her. They all knew the Old Testament. They all knew, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who heals all thy diseases. He forgives, well, first forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases. They knew if they just lived according to the law, they could live free from all that. And if they had done wrong, all they needed was the mercy of God and forgiveness, which was real easy to get, and then they could walk in His best. We don't even live in that covenant. We live in a better one. Thank you. But we know even though those people lived in that covenant, there were, there were other people, there were people who got sick that, that were there that were even in that covenant. We know that there was a prophet with a healing ministry because when the one guy came to the prophet and he tells him, go dip, you know, if you know the background of the story, he comes from a foreign land of this prophet. How did they know to go to this prophet? Because one of the servants that was down there said, there's a man there, he's a prophet, and he basically tells him he's got a healing ministry, you can go there and get healed. And sure enough, the dude goes, doesn't even come out, just sends a servant, tells him go and dip. So even though the people 
had a healing covenant, not all the people were walking in it, and there was healing. There were different ways that it was going on under that one. Everybody alive? And so we need to understand here that uh, just like this, he said this daughter of Abraham, this is part of her covenant, and guess who's in line? I guess we forgot the verses we first read. You and I are redeemed from the curse that the blessing of Abraham might come on us. And notice what it says. So ought not this woman being a daughter or a descendant of Abraham, because she wasn't, you know, like this is my daughter. Abraham had been gone for a long time, but they were sons and daughters of Abraham. It was a common term. They would still tell you do that. Yeah, I mean, if you know anything about some of the different wars when Israel was attacked, you know, there's a group of people that are totally opposed that came through Ishmael, the other from Abraham's uh, servant that had a child. They still believe they're children of Abraham. During, I think it was the Six-Day War, um, they were overtaking a group of them, overtaking a hill. There were two soldiers, I think it was, with guns. They ran out of ammo and they thought, we're dead. And all of a sudden, a bunch of these foreign guys that from Ishmael just stood up and threw their guns down and said, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, and took off. They had seen a vision and saw Abraham, and they called him Father. And just they were a descendant on the other side, not the ones that were heirs. So that term is still used today, uh, sons and daughters of Abraham. We need to think like that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whom Satan had bound. Notice that. It wasn't a God thing. It was evil. Think of it. It says, he said that. It says, think of it. For 18 years, and notice the context, so ought she not, this woman, who has a right to the covenant of Abraham, whom Satan is bound for 18 years, think of it, long time, be loosed from her infirmity or this bond on the Sabbath. If you read on, when the bond left, she's free. So, so real quick, because we'll go into this in more detail. People might ask the question, if um, it is God's will to heal and these things, and, and we're already redeemed, why doesn't it always come to pass? And there are different reasons. Is God's will always automatic? And I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 2. Is God's will always automatic? And, and this is important for us to know. Even though it's something God wants, it's not always automatic. You with me? Because sometimes people think, well, if it's God's will and He's already done something about it, then it's just automatically mine. No, it technically is yours, but does God's will always come to pass? And some people would say, for sure it does. Um, there are some things we know that will absolutely come to pass. He will return, whether you believe in it or not whether you like it or not, whether you're ready or not, 
he's going to come back at some point. And uh, no matter who's for it or against it, but there are things on this earth that are uh, being accomplished or not. And that some things are God's will, some things are not God's will, and there are some things happening that God does not want. It's not His will, but it's still going on. And there are things that are His will that He wants to happen, and it's not happening. 1 Timothy 2. And this is an interesting verse. Verse 1, and we, we read this sometimes at prayer on Tuesday and Friday. We did the other day, but not from this standpoint. Therefore, verse 1, I exhort, and he's writing to Christians, that first of all, supplications or humble requests, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all who are in authority. Notice this, that we might lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Notice, God told us how to pray so that we could live a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So you would have to ask, is it God's will that turmoil happen in a nation? Not if he said, if you'll pray, you can live a quiet and peaceable life. But he goes on to explain what this quiet and peaceable life looks like in all godliness and reverence. So God just doesn't want people to be, live a peaceful life. He wants it to be in all godliness and all reverence toward Him, toward His ways. You would have to just look at the news and look at this and go, God wants this. This is not happening. And there are factors in this. One, we know that the time of the enemy is short. So the Bible said he'll ramp up as the time of the end approaches and going about knowing his time is short. I mean, he can see the scriptures, Israel's come back, you know, all these things, different signs that are just out there for him to see. He knows his time is short. Well, if his time is short, he's going to do certain things and we know that evil men and things will occur because he's going to be stirring a lot of it. You with me? So we know there's an enemy factor. You don't have to live on the earth long to know there's an enemy. Live for the Lord and you sure will know. But notice it says that we might lead a quiet and a peaceful life in all godliness. But are we living in a quiet and a peaceful life in all godliness and reverence? Not maybe the way God would want it. So notice there's a condition. Pray. Pray. Now don't pray all kinds of fruity ways. You with me? Go up on a mountain and pull down the stronghold. If that was a proper way, the Lord would have instructed us and we would have seen Him do it. We just give this whole city to you. You can't do that. 
You want the city to change? Start reaching the people. Start praying for the authorities. Because you can't give the devil the boot. Because remember, even Jesus went to cast the devil out of one man. He said, if you come, like he had some kind of right, if you come to torment us before the time, like, like they know they have a right here. How'd they get that right? You'd have to go back to Genesis and find out and read even the temptation of Jesus and some other things. But we don't have time to look at that right now. But you think about it. They, he said, are you come to torment us before the time? Notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't say, I cast you into the pit, devil. If he could have cast the devil into the pit, he would have done everything in his power to go around hucking demons into the pit before he left because it make it easier on us. He could only drive them out of a person. Remember, he even gave them permission to leave one man and go into a herd of swine. That tells you a lot. One, they said, don't send us from that land. That means certain spirits like to be in certain places. Jesus didn't say, well, I'm sending you guys all out of here over to where them Gentiles live down the road, a couple countries. No, for some reason he couldn't or didn't. And if he could have, he would have and showed us how to do it. Paul, in, in the book of Ephesians, would have never said, you wrestle against these unseen forces. He would have just said, cast them out. Just get them all gone. You don't need armor. You don't need to know you're right with God. You don't need truth in you. You don't need the gospel of peace. You don't need a faith and and the spoken word, that's getting rid of the armor, but saying the things. You don't need hope in your mind. Because the devil's gone now. You gave him the boot. You drove him down to the other city. Those, those dumb people in Apache Junction, those dumb people in Tempe, and you know all the cities around us, all them dumb people, now they got all the demons, now we're all good. No, we're the dumb people. Who think we can do that? Can you resist him and he'll flee from you? Yes. Can you get him out of your affairs? Yes. But if he could have been driven out and Jesus would have been the one never to have been uh, harassed by the devil. Remember, even when he got done with that one temptation, it said the devil left him for a more, waited for another a more opportune time. Well, Hallelujah. So is it God's will for a peaceable life? Yes. In godliness and reverence? Yes. But is it happening always? No. Does it happen in some places more than others? Yes. Is there a human factor? Yes. So you could say God's will isn't always happening, though it is His will. I mean, the first place we should all be getting control and having peace and godliness and all that is in our own homes. And reverence in, in an atmosphere that our kids can come home and be in an atmosphere like heaven. Heaven. 
And then, then let's take the reach from there and start imposing the rights that's been given to us and start praying for the president, the kings, the rulers, the different people. So much of what is going on right now is not natural. The news, the reporting, the I'm against this guy, I'm for this guy to create divisions is, is far beyond what I think many people imagine. It's, it's wicked because it divides people over lines that they shouldn't have been divided over. So now, this is why we should be careful where we fight our battles. Because why? Because then they don't want to hear you because you stand so strong in this. When, listen, there ain't no candidate that's perfect. Now, there may be some who can do a better job on business side and stuff than others, but don't think either one of the candidates is the savior of the world. But we should be praying. And if we make it a dividing line, then people may know us by our candidate or by certain stands instead of our gospel stand. I mean, I'll tell you what, I don't want to get to heaven and go, well, Jesus, he'll say, what'd you do? I voted for Trump. Or I voted for this, or I did that, and then, or I did this or didn't do this. And he's like, well, what about the lost? And so if I can alleviate some of it without compromising so that I can win some people, that's probably where it ought to be. Well, thank you. Because when it all comes down to it, if I can get everybody saved and get them knowing the truth, they're going to be more like me. And you get what I'm saying. Not everything. Praise the Lord. And uh, we'd all be fighting with each other. No, I'm kidding. Um, that was a joke. But you think about it. I want people to know the gospel and the truth. Then, then the, a lot of those other things change. But if we make that our fight, we're going to we close the people say, I'll tell you what, this is what they believe. No, no. Who cares about that? I mean, I do care. But ultimately, I want to get people born again. I want to see people come to the knowledge of the truth. And really, that's just me aligning myself with God. People will vote certain ways when they're a certain way. So did he say go convert voters? Go into all the world and convert voters. Convert people on their opinions about this, this, and this. No, he said this is his will. Let's just might as well keep reading. For this is good, what's good? Living a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. The word saved is sozo. It literally means to be healed, made whole, to be delivered, to be protected. But ultimately, it does also mean saved, new birth. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Does God's will automatically happen? No. Not according to those verses and according to what we know right now. God's will with an enemy and fallen man is not 100% uh, going to happen. But do we have a way to make things that are taking up space in our lives not take up space and then make our reach 
uh, better, more effective in society, reaching people, seeing them get saved, seeing them get plugged in, growing up in God and changing. Yes, I have a part, you have a part, and then we can make that come to pass. But what if we're just too busy doing our own thing? The church world, a lot of it has come to that, where they're doing their own thing. Are, do, are we praying for kings, for those in authority? Are we praying about our leaders, or are we bickering about them? Well, if I'm believing God's working in them, then why am I bickering about them? If I believe that money's coming in and God's assured me that it is, then why should I complain about it? I don't have no money. I'm always broke and I never have this. And I just don't got this. Why would I be doing that if I really believed it was coming in? And what if I believe my prayers really worked and they were affecting a king, a president, a governor, a mayor? Then I wouldn't be murmuring and complaining. Everybody okay? So we'll pick it this later on. There's just, you know, like they say, you just unplug the train, let the things separate, and we'll reconnect next week. Understand this, there is a way to displace things and to see all these things in our life that God intends. And not just intends, has already done something about it. When Jesus died, he did something about all this. And so there are things that are taking up space, and there are reasons they do, and there are things that can... If something takes up place, sometimes, you know, just getting something like, you know, if there was a bunch of little kids sitting on the front row of the church, I'm bigger than most second graders, first graders for sure, and, I, and they were just jam-packed, and I just sat right between them. I'm bigger, heavier, hopefully stronger. Regardless, if I go pin myself between them and sit down, you know what's going to happen? They're going to part. And you know what's going to happen to the people on the ends? They're going to be on the ground. Why? Because now the space is being taken up by something else that's bigger, stronger, more fixed, and therefore, off those things go, something else takes up its place. There is a reason why some things do happen, and it's not always because of evil per se, but there is a way to get rid of it because of the things that do belong to us as Christians. We'll talk about all that. You with me? And we'll look at more and more scriptures about the proofs of these things that they do belong to you. You with me? Not, not God wants to get them for you per se. He already did something about it when Jesus died and rose.